How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What's up, sickos? Eric from Spike Week here bringing you a very special edition of our Tuesday night show Spike Week Sickos, a little more advanced best ball analysis, doing a special recorded version of our Spike Week Sicko show tonight because I want to dive into the nuts and bolts of my favorite 2023 best ball draft strategy, what I'm calling the best ball triple option. So if you've been diving in to the best ball space so far in 2023, or if you're getting ready to get started, maybe you just hopped into your first few drafts or you're planning out your first few drafts, you're going to quickly realize that 2023, the draft landscape is unlike any other, particularly on underdog, underdog fantasy, but really all across the entire fantasy football landscape. It's really like nothing we've seen in terms of player ADP, but particularly positional ADP and the overall draft environment, the player pool, the depth of the player pool at different positions. And with it being so different and so unique this year, I found myself when I first started drafting, even struggling a little bit with exactly how to try to figure out the best way to navigate this landscape, right? We don't want to just be diving into all of our drafts and firing off drafting all of our favorite players. We don't even want to just be drafting the tried and true structures and roster constructions and draft strategies that we've become so accustomed to over the last year, two years, five years, 10 years. What we really want to be doing in best ball is taking every year and evaluating it in as its own. It's its, it's its own game. It's its own kind of experiment for us to run. And it's a, its own problem for us to solve as drafters. Because at the end of the day, we're setting out to draft within this year's particular draft environment and against these thousands of other players and figure out how to be how, how do we beat these other players. But maybe more importantly, we're figuring out how to rise to the top when our opponents fail. And that's one big thing that I'm trying to do in particular this year. And where I really started to hone in on this particular draft strategy that as I started to experiment so far in 2023 has really jumped out as the one that really brings together a lot of different elements, specifically about 2023 that I think we can use to dominate our opponents. So first let's talk about what in the heck is the best ball triple option. So I wrote an article that I'll be referencing here a little bit throughout this video. But first, I just want to break down in case maybe you're not a big football, you know, diehard from your childhood. What the heck is the triple option? A triple option offense is a little bit more of an old school football offense, a run focused offense. But as the name dictates, there's three options essentially on every play. So the offense is really, you know, there's nuance to this, but generally speaking, running the same play over and over and over, but it, it morphs into a different play because on every single play, 
the quarterback after receiving the snap has three different options. He hands it off to his fullback. He keeps it himself and runs, or he pitches it to his wingback. So on every single play, based on what the defense is doing, this offense is doing the same thing, but reading and reacting to the defense and trying to exploit where the defense makes a mistake. And in many different ways, this is not only similar to this particular strategy we're going to talk about today, but really drafting best ball itself, right? We do the same thing over and over. We're competing against 11 other individuals, and we're trying to ultimately not solve and predict the future the best. We're just trying to beat our opponents, right? It doesn't matter whether we win by an inch or a mile. The goal is just to be in first place, you know, on underdog or DraftKings in week 17. We want to get there and be in first place in week 17 or on drafters over the course of weeks one to week 17. We just want to be the highest score. We don't have to have the perfect team. We just have to beat all of our opponents. And so similar to the triple option offense, it's probably not going to score 100 points a game, but it is going to exploit your opponents when they make mistakes. And so with all that being said, I want to dive into really quickly just kind of what the best ball triple option ultimately really even means. And I, of course, again, will uh, post the link to this particular article. It is free for everyone to read on spikeweek.com. Obviously, I have a nice long intro here with kind of how I got around to uh, calling it the best ball triple option and where my silly brain goes with my my kind of football background but i also mentioned here i just and i did just want to reiterate as you see here kind of in the first section being titled execute and exploit i mentioned in the piece where i said i recently wrote about best ball about best ball strategy and why it should be exploitative and there is an article here about how the the best strategy is an exploitative strategy meaning instead of trying to predict the future predict the players who are going to be the next Josh Jacobs or Cooper Cup or Mark Andrews or or Justin Fields or anything like that. Instead of trying to figure out who's going to score the most points in week 17 or which game is going to go off, the best way to win this is when we're competing against thousands and thousands of other people is trying to exploit the areas in which our opponents either are the weakest or maybe where they may be overconfident or maybe where they may be giving us a chance to build stronger teams. And there's a combination of all these things that end up making up this best ball triple option. First, where this even came from is maybe the most important aspect, right? And that's the best ball landscape of 2023. Since we're trying to be exploitative in our best ball strategy, how do we define how do we decide what the best exploitative strategy is and it's based on what the landscape is for this particular year right in years past uh, and we'll touch on this in a minute in years past 10 15 years ago when the whole first round was quarterbacks smart people shout out to JJ Zacharyson at the late round QB and and you know creator one of the original creators of the late round quarterback strategy when everyone else was spending their first round pick on quarterbacks and we could maybe replicate that quarterback scoring on the waiver wire or late in your drafts, that strategy was exploiting a piece of the market. Was that right, wrong, or indifferent for people to be drafting quarterbacks that highly? Maybe given what we're seeing now, uh, nowadays, it wasn't completely wrong, but there was a way to exploit it. With later round, with spending less at the position and dominating running back and wide receiver and and tight end, all we're trying to do is evaluate the landscape and figure out maybe where some of the gaps are, and maybe where some of those those levers that we can pull that give us a leg up on our competition. So let's first let's break down this landscape. Right in 2023, there are a few like massively important things that we need to consider in any strategy, whether you're going to look to this triple option strategy or anything else you implement in any draft, we have to understand 
these variables about 2023 first sort of insinuated it with the quarterback uh, point elite quarterbacks. The pricing is at an all time high in terms of modern day fantasy football. I mentioned it's almost a throwback to those old days, 10, 12 years ago when quarterbacks were being taken in the first round and littered throughout the first several rounds. It's kind of a throwback to that, right? Depending upon the site that you're drafting on, you could have three quarterbacks in the second round, four quarterbacks in the first three rounds, seven quarterbacks in the first five rounds. This has changed dramatically from the last couple of years. So if you're looking to information about, uh, you know, how important were elite quarterbacks based on the last couple of years of best ball data, that landscape was wildly different. Jalen Hurts was a sixth round pick. Joe Burrow multiple years ago was an even cheaper pick, right? An eighth round pick or something. That was elite quarterback pricing now. Now, if you want the superstar quarterbacks, you have to spend a much higher price. On the flip side, bullet point number two, the lesser quarterbacks, meaning the non-elites, are still priced extremely cheaply. Many starting quarterbacks including some that have real upside, are going in the very much later rounds of drafts, even oftentimes the last couple or last round of drafts, but certainly later. I say here in the piece, of course these quarterbacks are not Patrick Mahomes. These quarterbacks are not Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson from a fantasy perspective. And many of them have uncertain situations. Whether it be the San Francisco 49ers, and do we know if Brock Purdy is healthy and starting to start the year or Sam Howell, do we know if he's starting or will hold the job with Jacoby Brissett behind him? We don't know, but we know that quarterback is the most projectable position and that uncertainty that we're discussing. Will Sam Howell hold the job? Will Brock, Brock Purdy be ready for week one or what, what about these new, Rookie quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, etc. We know that quarterback is the most projectable position. So if you're in there and you're starting and you're just not completely horrible, you're scoring some form of fantasy points. We also know that upside lies in the uncertain situations. What that means is, when there's no uncertainty, we have a 30-year-old player who's been on the same team. Let's take Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen has been on the Chargers for several years. He's older. We know what he does, right? There's a little bit of fluctuation year to year and game to game. Of course, that's just sports. But we generally know what Keenan Allen is. There's not a lot of fluctuation in what Keenan Allen is going to bring. But an uncertain situation, a rookie a new player being thrust into a role like a Sam Howell, a player on a new team like DeAndre Hopkins is going to be on a new team, or um, my guy Damian Harris is now on a new team. Rashad Penny is on a new team. These players are on new teams, so there's uncertain situations. And that's where the market is generally going to be the most wrong, in both directions. It could be they could be way too expensive. DeAndre Hopkins going in the third or fourth round could be way too expensive. But there also could be Rashad Penny could be going five rounds too too late because there's so much uncertainty. The market is oftentimes going to be wrong in one direction or the other. In this instance, we're talking about the upside that you, that things can come from, and in particular with quarterback. Those starting guys going back there in the last round or the last couple of rounds have a lot of room to gain from an upside perspective and almost no room to go down from a downside perspective. Number three, running backs, cheaper than ever. The cheapest we have probably ever seen running backs. I, I can't imagine that there was ever a time in the olden days that running backs were cheaper than this, even when quarterbacks were very expensive. So here, the wide receiver bros have won, especially on underdog. Running backs that are going in the third round right now 
were historically first-round picks. The likes of Ramondre Stevenson and Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, etc. These guys were first-round picks historically. Guys going, Najee Harris going in the fourth round, Travis Etienne going in the fourth round, Ken Walker going in the fifth round. These guys were second-round picks at worst. And we have running backs in the mid to late rounds who are more like what we would call the running back dead zone type running backs where everybody would write their article about this is this year's running back dead zone going in the fourth round, the Mike Davis, the Mike Davis has a good year on the Panthers and goes to the Falcons and everyone thinks he's going to get all this volume. We drop him into the dead zone. He doesn't get this much volume, but now that guy's not a fourth round pick anymore. That guy's a ninth round pick. So running backs are cheaper than ever. Wide receivers, on the other hand, are more expensive than ever. Somewhere around seven or eight wide receivers go in the first round of drafts, of every single draft, sometimes more. And the wide receiver, what we would call the wide receiver thirst, has pulled up some wide receivers that would never go this high before. Calvin Ridley hasn't played in two years and is now on a new team third round pick DeAndre Hopkins getting old not on the Cardinals anymore not even on a team yet fourth round pick Christian Watson a prospect nobody was all that even excited about last year he was actually quite cheap in fantasy drafts last season has a great rookie year ton makes tons of big plays but now Aaron Rodgers is gone now it's Jordan Love who everyone has been dunking on for years and Christian Watson is a late third early fourth Round pick. Maybe more important than that, the fact that all these wide receivers are getting pulled up. Because everyone's getting pulled up, the cliff that wide receivers, the wide receiver drop off is a massive cliff, cliff drop in somewhere around the eighth round. Something like that. Everybody has a little bit of a different dividing line that they would personally choose. I always like to call it the bait, the Bateman line, Rashad Bateman going somewhere in the 80s. Once you get past Rashad Bateman, wide receivers, it is a steep fall off somewhere in that eighth round range. And that's important to know. Lastly, the final position, you probably guessed it, tight ends are what I would call buy one, get one free. There are some still elite tight ends. Travis Kelsey goes sixth overall. Mark Andrews goes in the third round, right? TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts, George Kittle. Dallas Goddard, Darren Waller, still, you know, there's still some elite quarterback options going reasonably high. Cheaper than before, cheaper than the last couple of years, but still, you have to pay a little bit for those elite tight ends. And once you mostly get past them, they're free. The position is free. Of course, it's a little bit of hyperbole. There are many tight ends that go you know, from Evan Ingram and David Njoku and Pat Fryermuth, et cetera, et cetera, in the middle rounds. But we've decided as an industry, the best ball community has said, I don't, once I get past these elite guys, I really don't care about tight end. Put them all at the end. There are more starting caliber, not just starting caliber, actually starting NFL tight ends, some of which who are legitimately very good football players or rookies, second year players, legit upside cases, right? You have Hunter Henry is going in the last round. Um, Jelani Woods is going in the last round. Michael Meyer is going in the last round. The, like literally last round picks second round pick Luke Musgrave last round. Sam Laporta in the 160s. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Tons of tight ends, super, super late. If you happen to use our Spike Week best ball player projections, you also find once you get into that later part of the draft, outside the top 160, 170, this is not this this couldn't be more evident in the fact that the late round tight ends straight up project on a weekly basis for more points than wide receivers and running backs. So once you get outside of the top 
160 or 170 players overall. Of course, we exclude quarterbacks because naturally they project for the most points. The tight ends that are going that late straight up are going to score more points on average than the wide receivers that you can get back there. So while they may be some of the worst picks earlier on, maybe, maybe not. That's personal preference. But the tight ends project for the most points of all skill players laid in drafts. It's total, this has totally changed. All of these, each position. So what does this mean, right? What does this mean? We now understand what the landscape is saying and what the landscape is telling us. How do we put it all together into a strategy that kind of combines them and manipulates and exploits the, these things we now know about the 2023 landscape? And that, my friends, is where the best ball triple option comes in. So. We'll get into why some of these things exist, right? But in an 18-round draft, if you draft three, I say late-ish, because it's flexible. That's what's, that's what's the best part of any good strategy, certainly, of this one. I say late-ish. Three, say three, late-ish round quarterbacks. Because, as we said above, Quarterback, the elite guys are priced as high as they ever have been in modern fantasy football. But the later guys did not get priced up. So now the gap between the later guys and the earlier guys is wider than it's ever been. But the later guys might even be better than they've ever been. We've got a bunch of first-round pick rookies, second-year, third-year players, bounce-back veterans, Exciting young, uh, you know, quarterbacks like Sam Howell back there. There's tons of options. Tons. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback, one of the best offenses in the NFL. Whichever one you think it is, it's probably Brock Purdy, is going in the 190s of drafts. There's tons of quarterback options, certainly once we get outside the top 100. Three late-ish round tight ends. We just talked about how, look, I like the elite tight ends. Who doesn't like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, etc.? We just talked about there comes a point in the draft where the tight ends, not only are they the best like value pick from just an ADP perspective, you know, oh, running backs and wide receivers have gotten bad. They straight up project for more points once you get to those late rounds. And we already know that the quarterbacks project for more points. That seems pretty good to spend as little as I can then on those positions because I'm taking a combination, again, in 18 rounds of 12 running backs and wide receivers. With most, if not all of them, being taken in those first 12 to 14 picks. Why is that? We just talked about wide receivers specifically. The fall off after the eighth-ish round is so stark that I want to get as much of my wide receiver room before that point as possible. So how do I do that? Well, I'm not considering quarterbacks and tight ends in those first eight rounds. I know I'm going to take those guys later. So I'm going to get most of my wide receivers in those first eight rounds. I also know that running backs are cheaper than ever, meaning two things. One, I can I can dip my toes into some of these elite running backs if I so choose. You really like Tony Pollard in the second round? You really like Nick Chubb in the second round? You like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall? You really like those guys? It can be difficult to take them, given the wide receiver landscape, because you know after the eighth round, if you don't have enough wide receiver firepower, you're in trouble. So the more detours you take away from wide receiver in those first eight rounds, the tougher it is to build a really strong wide receiver group. So if I know I'm not taking quarterback 
and I'm not taking I'm not taking tight end. <laughs> almost knocked over my almost knocked over my mic. And for the first eight to twelve to fourteen rounds, I'm gonna be hammering running back and wide receiver. I can dip my toes into these awesome running backs, or I can just hammer wide receiver. And with running backs being cheaper than ever, I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna get good running backs. It almost doesn't matter because I'm not going to be taking 18th round running backs. The 18th round is where my tight ends and quarterbacks come from, right? You know, the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th round. I know pretty much my quarterbacks and tight ends are coming from back there. And with running backs being cheaper, at almost every point in the draft, do the running backs project for more points until we get to the very end with the tight ends. Again, excluding quarterbacks, the running backs project for more points about over the course of basically the entire draft. Once you get past kind of the top five, top four. Once you like very, very quickly in drafts, running backs are basically the best pick on the board at all times from an upside projection, et cetera. But wide receivers are so expensive because we've seen how important they've become and they can fill four positions on my team, right? Three wide receiver three wide receiver spots plus a flex, whereas running backs can only fill two running back spots plus a flex. So wide receivers are naturally more important. We know stacks are more important. So those things are why wide receivers are priced up alongside fragility and all that. We're not here to talk about running back versus wide receiver, but this strategy allows me to, it doesn't have to be this pissing contest between running back and wide receiver, whatever you prefer. You want to draft a zero running back team with this strategy? You can do it. You want to draft a really robust running back? You want to start with three running backs? Go for it. I've done them both. I've done everything there in between. I've taken one early running back. I've taken two. I've taken three. I've taken zero. I've taken all of that because this strategy is how you can be flexible and take advantage of everything that the beginning of drafts is giving you and everything that the beginning of drafts is taking away from you. You can manipulate that and you can manipulate it with areas of the draft where quarterbacks and tight ends are actually the best picks. And that's later. So we combine all of these things with one more big caveat. And I've seen shout out to all you guys who uh, read this article, posted some stuff on Twitter. Hey, I really appreciate you reading this. Um, I appreciate the feedback on the article, but I've seen a bunch of people posting that. Oh, I tried out the triple option and most of them are missing one key element and that is the final bullet point that you see on your screen here correlate all three of your tight ends with their quarterback now of course first you might be saying look you know do i really have to do that part no no not there's there's flexibility in all of these things and the great part about the strategy is that you can go in to any draft and you say i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna try out the triple option here And then George Kittle falls 24 picks past ADP. And you say, okay, I just can't pass on him now. Take him. And then make some small tweaks, right? It allows you to be flexible. Going in with this mindset of, I have the late round quarterbacks and I have the late round tight ends in my pocket. I'm going to dominate running back and wide receiver. If something happens and you want to pivot away from that, pivot. If you want to take this and modify it a little bit, I want to do this, but I want to do it with one elite tight end, right? So now I'm going to take one. Instead of taking three total tight ends, I'm only going to take two, but one of them is going to be late, and then all three of my quarterbacks are going to come late. And I'm going to tweak this a little bit. That's the beauty. You can tweak all these things, but I'm staking claim to this. We're putting in the copyright and the patent. We're filing for the patent of the, the best ball triple option. And the real best ball triple option is taking this taking this approach and ramping it up with that correlation and stacking element. You take your three quarterbacks, we're combining the fact that late-round quarterback seems good here, late-round tight end seems good here. So if I correlate them together, I just ratchet it up the, the, when that team hits, the impact is even greater as opposed to just right. I'm just going to take Purdy and Mac Jones and Howell, but then I'm going to take Luke Musgrave and Jelani woods and 
Hayden Hurst, right? There's nothing wrong inherently with those, but I would like to consolidate my bets if at all possible. And if Sam Howell hits, I would like to be able to bank on that with two late picks instead of just one. Sam Howell hits Washington's much better. Logan Thomas is running every route as the tight end for Washington. That helps Logan Thomas. So I would just like to make that. I've already made a bet on late round tight ends and I made a bet on three of these quarterbacks. So let's correlate those two things and allow me to, when it hits, is it, is it usually going to hit? No, but they're late round quarterbacks and late round tight ends for a reason. But when it hits and you find Geno Smith of this year, you find Daniel Jones of this year, right? Even like Tua was fairly cheap last year. You can correlate those wins and those hits together. Now, of course, like I said, the great thing about this is it's very flexible. The other thing that's very flexible about it is that looking at current ADP, again, using underdog, here's all the quarterbacks that go outside the top 100 that you could utilize within this strategy. Geno Smith, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Jordan Love, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Kenny Pickett, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Sam Howell, Mac Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, and Ryan Tannehill. For those counting at home, that's 16 of the 32 starting NFL quarterbacks. Half of the offenses in the entire NFL are at your disposal if you use this. I didn't include Daniel Jones. I didn't include Anthony Richardson, who you could probably include on this list. I believe Dak Prescott is approaching um, double-digit rounds. I should say, with Daniel Jones, his tight end goes in the top 100. So it doesn't really work. But if you wanted to say, ah, I, I might I might include Waller and Daniel Jones in this, go for it. Anthony Richardson falls into close enough to this category. Dak Prescott, Jake Ferguson late, right? We talked about Jelani late. One could argue 20 or so, 20-ish of the 32 NFL offenses are available to you to stack where their quarterback and their tight end both go outside of the top 100. So you can get all of these elite, right? All of these elite running backs and wide receivers in the top 100. And then you sprinkle a couple outside the top 100, probably. And you still get three different stacks and correlations between your quarterback and your tight end. If you're smart while you're navigating your way through there, you can get the wide receiver, right? You can default throughout the draft to wide receivers who would give you stacking options, right? You're deciding between um, Devonta Smith and Chris Olave. Well, Devonta Smith doesn't fit my my uh, doesn't fit my triple option potential, so I take Chris Olave because Derek Carr is going to be available to me later, right? DK Metcalf or Calvin Ridley. DK Metcalf gives me the chance for the Seahawks stack with Geno Smith. On the flip side, it's also true. You want to stat? You want to do some Week 17 correlations, right? You you, you re- who doesn't love their Week 17 correlations? You take Jackson Smith and Jigba in the fifth round. Sixth comes back to the sixth round to you or the seventh round. You know, sixth round, Deontay Johnson's looking at you. Hmm. Both of those wide receivers fit. Their quarterbacks fit the triple option, right? Kenny Pickett and Geno Smith outside the top 100, both of the tight ends outside the top 100, and they correlate in week 17. I can manipulate my way through this and build incredibly strong teams that are super duper flexible, knowing that I have the quarterbacks and tight ends outside the top 100 in my pocket. And I know I'm always going to have good running back and wide receiver rooms, the two most important positions in all fantasy. I mentioned here in the article that really in a vacuum, I actually don't love the idea of drafting three quarterbacks and or three tight ends. I'm much more at my core, a two quarterback and two tight end person. But that's why this exploitative strategy is so important. And that's why analyzing the landscape of 2023 is so important. If you use all your early picks on running back and wide receiver, particularly with wide receiver being priced up so much, you're, 
you're really strong at those positions. You're really strong. You're probably the strongest team in your draft at running back, wide receiver, and you know the flex position. But you're weakest at quarterback and tight end. But the positions where you're weakest, when the draft becomes later, those positions are strongest. And so when you draft, you draft three of each of them and you correlate them, you get a bunch of different benefits. You get a bunch of different benefits. You get the fact that you are actually creating a team that projects really highly because you have awesome projections at running back and wide receiver. And yes, the elite quarterbacks and elite tight ends project better than your collection, but you have three of them at each position which helps you from a projection standpoint. And you're at the you drafted it as such where your tight ends project better than every other pick at that point and your quarterbacks project every other, better than every other pick at that point. So you're picking up some ground on your opponents and you already picked up ground at running back and wide receiver. So it like catches you up to those elite quarterback and elite tight end positions and then by correlating them when we have to navigate our way through the playoff weeks particularly on underdog or DraftKings we can we can allow ourselves to all you you just need three weeks of three different offenses where one of those quarterbacks and one of those tight ends does well. You've given yourself three different options. No pun intended with the triple option. You've given yourself three different options to ping pong your way through those playoff weeks. Get me to week seventeen. Mac Jones did it in week sixteen. Now it's Brock Purdy in week seventeen. Please, Brock, throw four touchdowns. I shouldn't have used Brock Purdy because he's not an example here. Get me to get me to Kenny Pickett in week 17, and then you throw four touchdowns and throw two of them to Pat Fryermuth. You correlate them. You have to get those mul- like multiple different things less right because you made it easier on yourself by correlating them. And I do think the correlation thing is important, of course. Look, not every draft goes your way. You're going to get sniped. Things aren't going to work out. You're not going to get all those perfect correlations. But targeting them, the only way to get them is by targeting them. Last couple other perks is by having all three shots at those positions, right? Three quarterbacks and three tight ends. You give yourself three outs to finding a breakout. You don't even need all of them to be breakouts, right? You have three shots at finding Daniel Jones from last year. You have three shots at finding Geno Smith or Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence from last year. You gave yourself more outs than your opponents. On top of that, you maximized the payoff when you do find Geno Smith or Daniel Jones. If you draft Jalen Hurts, if you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round and you find an you're like me and you're drafting Sam Howell. And Sam Howell is this year's Daniel Jones or Geno Smith or or Trevor Lawrence. You've minimized the impact of finding that player. Is it ever bad to have that breakout player on your team? Of course not. But you're, you're really just using Jalen Hurts' score every week. Right? You didn't benefit that many points. You have Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is... Rocking out 20-plus points every single week. That's why he's the QB1. So what are you really getting from Daniel Jones? A couple weeks here and there, he provides you some points. But when you combined Geno and Daniel Jones and Mac Jones together onto a team, despite the fact that Mac was horrible, huge miss, you still hit on those other two players. So you were using their score every single week and you were matching what Patrick Mahomes is doing. Other people spend a second round pick on, on that, those 20 to 25 points from Patrick Mahomes every single week. You spent it on two of your last picks and you were getting that production. You, you benefit so much more from that breakout by minimizing your spend on that position entirely as a whole. And the same thing is same thing can be said for a tight end, right? If you if you drafted Travis Kelsey, a lot of the weeks you're just using Travis Kelsey's score. So if Jelani Woods becomes the next George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, it's like yeah, you're. I mean that's that's great. That's not a bad thing. Of course it's a good thing, but you've lessened the impact of finding that guy because you use your first round pick on another tight end, even 
you know, you drafted TJ Hawkinson or George Kittle. Those guys, those guys are the breadwinners at your position. You need them to be good because you spent a lot on them. So when you get that other hit, it's great. But the real benefit comes from when Jelani Woods is the next big, big superstar and you drafted Jelani Woods and Hunter Henry and, and Luke Musgrave. So even, let, let's say Musgrave isn't a hit. You still got an elite tight end from spending it on your last three picks in your entire draft, as opposed to, which is much, much, much cheaper, even than draft spending one fifth round pick. Like I said, the big thing that I love about this is it allows everybody within one kind of framework to put their own spin on this. Things aren't always going to go great. It may not work out, right? You may get sniped. You may not get the perfect correlation out of every tight end may not, right? I, I set up some things with, uh, like I'll draft Pat Fryermuth. You know, Pat Fryermuth goes at pick 110 or something like that. Can he pick it goes much later. So you have to do some planning. You also might have to do a, a smidge of reaching. You also might have to, if you're a huge stick, like you're never ever going to take somebody ahead of ADP, the strategy may be a little bit tougher for you. Sometimes it will line up really well. I found that uh, Russell Wilson and Greg Dulcich line up, end up lining up quite well in the 12th and 13th round or something like that. But oftentimes you are going to have to reach a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about reaching five rounds. But once you get into the double-digit rounds, it's also important to understand that while ADP is valuable and ADP value is valuable, ADP is valuable because it's getting you a better projection, right? Higher upside slash better medium projection slash both. And it's getting you some form of uniqueness onto your team. The why is the important part. We can sit here and say, I got him after ADP. Why does that matter? It's because of the uniqueness and the, the projection and upside boost it gives you. So once you get late into the draft, where, where this strategy is targeting these quarterbacks and tight ends. Does it really does does it really matter if you drafted a player at pick 180 or pick 200? The players all project the same back there. There's not really any uniqueness in terms of unique combinations back there. But the unique combinations that we can get are actually what this strategy is doing. <laughs> You're stacking up three different offenses and three different specific stacks that a lot of people probably aren't doing, right? So like if you take three quarterbacks that are all going very late in drafts, all going very close to each other, you take CJ Stroud, Sam Howell, and Mac Jones. They all go like right next to each other. You 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 already took uh, Dalton Schultz earlier, and so now your last five picks are going to be Stroud, Howell, Mac Jones, Hunter Henry, and Logan Thomas. Well, those all, all those guys go in like the 17th and 18th rounds, maybe 16th now. They all go in the last couple of rounds. So naturally, they are going to be unique together. So when you combine them with all the other perks and everything we've talked about in this strategy, the ADP value actually is way less important than the other things. There are other times where ADP value in drafts is the most might be the most important thing. Talked about George Kittle falling. Yeah, even me, I love this strategy. It's my favorite strategy. If I get to whatever round and George Kittle is two rounds past ADP, I'm, I'm, I, I, we can adapt mid-draft. I'll just take him. But it's always this balancing act. And this strategy will utilize ADP value, but it will also sometimes manipulate people who are very strictly tied to ADP. Last thing I wanted to do really quickly is just walk through a couple of teams that I myself have drafted using this strategy. All right. Uh, I, I went on a little bit of a, uh, a run in the Chihuahua on underdog drafting this team. So you're going to see a lot of, you see here, uh, three, oh, that's three, six, seven, two, three, four, eight, three. So when we see three quarterbacks and three tight ends, you could probably bet that it is a triple option team. Uh, let me zoom out just a smidge so this doesn't run together. All right. Here's one. First one. I just pulled it up. I did not pre-select these. So uh, if you hate them, you can leave it in the comments. 
tell me how terrible they are. All right, three, four, eight, three. It's a robust running back team drafted from the 101. Jordan Love, Kenny Pickett, and Mac Jones as my quarterbacks. You, you saw that I it, it says that it's a robust running back team. So obviously I took Justin Jefferson at the 101 and then took Ramondre and Brees at the 2-3 turn, came back and also hit J.K. Dobbins. So clearly, as you said, I got good. <laughs> I'm good at good, very good at running back. Ramondre, Brees, and J.K. Dobbins. But also at the 101, so I got Justin Jefferson, and I'm still able to get Justin Jefferson, Mike Williams, Jordan Addison, and Gabe Davis. I closed out. See, this is like a one version where I did do kind of a little little smidge of a hybrid, right? Now, I didn't get my perfect. Here's a good example. I, I got Michael Meyer. So it uh, looks like I didn't get Hunter Henry. Yeah, so I was setting up. So I took Pat Fryermuth, right? And I set up Kenny Pickett here. Got Kenny Pickett. One pick before, you know, one pick uh before his ADP, took Jordan Love eight picks before his ADP, and then Mac Jones eight picks before his before his ADP. But I set those all up beautifully. Got Fryermuth to go with Pickett, got Musgrave to go with Love, and did not get Hunter Henry. <laughs> so we took Michael Meyer. This is one of those hybrid versions where because I had Justin Jefferson, I was willing to go kind of a little bit more running back heavy, then only take four. You see, I added on Tank Bigsby to this team but I got the 101 so Justin Jefferson serves as a little bit of an anchor but then I still got three running backs you know by pick seven three running backs three more wide receivers by pick 73 and then I kind of just filled it out see here Jacoby Myers um clearly part of why I went with Michael Meyer just to build out a little secondary Raiders stack there let's look at another one three Five, seven, three. Another robust running back team with late round quarterback and late round tight end. Gino, Matthew Stafford, and Mac Jones. Let's. I'm gonna go right to the tight ends because I want to see if I got the. Oh yeah, baby. So see here, we got Gino and Noah Fant. We got Stafford with Higby, and we got Hunter Henry and Mac Jones. You see here, I took Cooper Cup. Fifth overall, so there's the Ram stack, a little Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, and Tyler Higby went robust again. Clearly, uh, you see, I, I'm, I'm packing my Brees and J.K. Dobbins bags, but took Cooper Cup, Nick Chubb, Brees Hall, came back and took D.J. Moore, and then J.K. Dobbins. But you see, I took three running backs in the first 53 picks. Normally, that's a burial. But on this team, I was still able to get Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, and Rashad Bateman. I took Jamison Williams. Some people may not take, may not like Jamison Williams on this team. And then closed out the wide receiver room with Jaden Reed. So Cooper Cup, DJ Moore. So five, like I said, mentioned earlier, Bateman being sort of my cutoff for that huge cliff dive at wide receiver, still able to get five wide receivers before that fall off, despite the fact that I took three running backs before that fall off. And the only way I was able to get that is by doing the triple option. It's the only way you take a detour for quarterback or tight end, not possible. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have one of these running backs. Wouldn't have one of these wide receivers. Not possible let's see if we can find one more oh here's a fun one let's see if we pulled this one off three five seven three late round tight end oh lord i can't believe uh the running backs i'm seeing on this or the one particular running back i'm seeing on this team but dak prescott kyler murray and sam howell as my three quarterbacks let's scroll the tight end and see if we pulled it off oh yeah baby got trey mcbride had to reach for Trey McBride because I got to my last three rounds and I was taking, so you want uniqueness. I got to my last three rounds and the stacks that I had set up, um, the rest of my team was done, but I had set up last four rounds. 
I got to my last four rounds because Howell's in there as well. And it was, I, I knew who I wanted. I got to those last four rounds. One pick was going to be Sam Howell. And then these three tight ends were specifically the three tight ends I was targeting because I drafted Kyler. So I got Trey McBride and Kyler. I drafted Dak earlier. So I wanted Jake Ferguson and then Logan Thomas and Sam Howell fit together. If Sam Howell didn't work out, Mac Jones is there for you and you can take Hunter Henry. Right. There's a couple different lack backdoor op options, Jimmy Garoppolo and Michael Meyer, etc. But we we took advantage, we got those quarterbacks with those tight ends. Took Tony Pollard. So we really we went ham on the Cowboys here. Dak, Tony Pollard in the second round, another Cooper Cup in the first round team. And it's a five running back team. So three. Five seven three with Pollard, Najee Harris, Eli Mitchell, Tank Bigsby, and Tyler Algier. Sort of like a kind of a dual running back team, but a little bit more of a, a modified dual running back team with Pollard as a little bit more of an anchor, but Najee in the you know late fourth round. Not a guy I like to draft, but if Najee's going to hit, I think this is a fun way to build out the Najee team then we take a bunch of wide receivers right after Najee Harris we obviously took Cooper Cup in the first round Calvin Ridley in the third round but then you get Brandon Ayuk in the fourth Kadarius Tony Jordan Addison again Jamison Williams Michael Gallup to, so we've got this big this big Dallas bet that we close it out with Michael Gallup we've also got Jamison Williams fun little week 17 Bring back on this team, Sam Howell. We don't have a wide receiver stack, but then we do have Brandon Ayuk, right? Week 17, bring back. So knowing that Howell may be a target, I can take Brandon Ayuk, 52nd overall. You just naturally fall. It wasn't even like a, something you're completely and utterly seeking out, but you just kind of sort of fall into it. Hopefully... All of that makes sense. The best ball triple option. There'll be a link in the description to the article that I would suggest you go read. It obviously goes um, even a little bit more in depth and breaks down the strategy, why the strategy makes sense, everything about the landscape and much, much more. Check that out. Make sure you subscribe to Spike Week links to get Spike Week Premium so you can use that fun tool that we were just looking at. Draft IQ to analyze all of your lineups, analyze your triple option teams, and be on the lookout for more videos like this, more strategy videos here on Spike Week. See you guys next time. Peace. Those were some spicy takes. Want to stay up to date with all of the other spicy takes we're going to have over here at Spike Week? Why don't you press that subscribe button below? If you turn notifications on, we draft a team, boom, you know about it. We have another spicy take, boom, you know about it. You can be there. You can draft with us. You want to stay up to date? That's how you do it. All right, we'll catch you later next time here at Spike Week. <laughs>